Well, let's take our Bibles. We're going to open up our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So as we begin reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and in verse 5, it says, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay any foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through the fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple? and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it is written, He catches the wise in their craftiness, and again the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. You know, I remember a, a little poem that I read years ago and it went like this. It says, To live above with those we love, oh, won't that be glory. But to dwell below with those we know, now that's a different story. <laughs> and <laughs> I thought it was humorous. It does speak to a truth, doesn't it? Uh, when we when we think of heaven and uh, we're all gathered together there and uh, minus the sinful natures and everything, that'll be glory. But from time to time, we're going to lock horns and, and butt heads and stuff a little bit in our experience down here on this earth. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul is in the middle of, in the context of, is his teaching that we read this morning. Uh, he starts off dealing with, he says, who is, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? And the reason he's doing that is because back in chapter 1 even, he already began to talk about how there was division in the church. And part of the division in the church was over personalities. Some people were saying, well, I'm following Paul. And others were saying, I'm following Apollos. And others were saying, I'm following Cephas. And of course, the most spiritual group he'd have to go to is say, I'm following Christ. And the Apostle Paul weighed in on that and said, I didn't baptize any of you in my name. Christ is the one that we're going to follow. And so he wanted to get rid of this disunity, get rid of this who's your favorite preacher thing and all that kind of stuff. And he had pointed something out to them. In chapter 2, he said, you know what, if you're behaving in this way, this divisiveness, you're acting within your natural humanness. And by natural, we would also say sinful because that's part of our nature. Notice back in chapter 2. He says in verse 13, he says, We impart words in wisdom not taught by human wisdom. In verse 14, he says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Verse 1 of chapter 3, he says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people. But he had to address them as carnal, as just human. 
And then in verse 3, he says, For you are still of the flesh, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Are you not merely being human? The point that the Apostle Paul is in the midst of is he's saying, look, as you guys are living out your experience in Christ, you're living as though you're still just human, just having that old sinful nature. You're living out that humanness when we are called and equipped for so much more. You see, the point that he's making is that the Holy Spirit comes with inside of us and indwells us. That ought to change us. And so we shouldn't live out just our human nature anymore. In the ministry and the power of the Holy Spirit, we should be above that. We should be what I've kind of entitled this morning, living below by rising above. That's what he's looking for. And we are living below. We're still on this earth. We're not in glory yet. But we're supposed to live out this earthly experience with a heavenly perspective. And we're able to do that because of the Holy Spirit that comes in and dwells within us. He is literally calling these people to do just this. Live out your life below by rising above. By living with that heavenly perspective. By living with the power of the Holy Spirit and and affecting those uh, the way that you live and the way that you relate to other people. So as we consider this idea of living below by rising above, he uses a couple different analogies. He used the analogy of the farmer and he used the analogy of a builder. But throughout those two analogies, he's going to kind of point to several different character traits. And that's what I'd like us to kind of focus on as we go through the passage here today, is these character traits which promote unity. Right now they're experiencing a lot of disunity, a lot of strife, a lot of quarrels. And he's saying you need to gain that heavenly perspective. You need to rise above that as you experience your relationships while still here below. And in doing that, he highlights three different character traits that we're going to focus on here this morning. Well, the first character trait that we see uh, repeated throughout the passage, not specifically in words, but in different commands and things that he gives them, is piety. Piety. Now, what what is piety? (laughs) I looked it up in the online dictionary and it called it religiosity. But it also used other words to describe it as zeal, um, committed, focused. Piety is recognizing that our life is given to us and created by God. And so it's really all about Him. A pious life is just a life where you take your faith seriously and in your actions and your attitudes are reflected by that seriousness of your faith. And so you try to live out your walk with Christ in a very practical way on this earth. So the things that you don't do, you don't do them because of your relationship with Christ. The things that you do participate in, you participate in those because of your relationship with Christ. And the way that you participate in those is also impacted by your relationship with Christ. Now, I see this piety in here over and over through the passage because there's many places where he's just focusing on God. He focuses it back to God. He focuses it back to Christ. That's what piety means. It means giving God His due place in your life. The first place that we see it, we see it is involves recognizing God's supremacy because that's what He does in verses 5-7. through seven. He says, What then is Apollos and what is Paul, servants through whom you believed? And then notice what he says, As the Lord assigned. He says, yeah, I have a ministry among you. Apollos has a ministry among you. He led some of you to Christ. But notice that last little phrase in verse 5, as the Lord assigned to each. In other words, he's saying, look, yeah, I might have led you to the Lord, but it's God. God is the one that determined that that would happen. God is the one that 
that led me to you and gave me the things to say to you and, and the Scripture to teach to you. And it's, it's God who brought you to Christ. Not me. In verse 6, he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants or he who waters is anything. Why? Because it's God who gives that growth. It's God who gives that increase. If you're going to live as though it's all about God, which it is, then the first thing you've got to recognize is God's supremacy. He's saying, look, I, I was just a servant. I was just doing my job, doing what God called me to do. You know who's really to be thanked for your salvation? It's God. Like every week when I stand back there at the back and people come through and shake hands and stuff, it's not uncommon for somebody to say, hey, good, good message, Pastor. Thank you for that. Or I needed that. Or it's just something along those lines. And you know what? That in itself is kind of humbling. But I always try to be careful. I always say thank you because I, I know what you mean. I know that you're not giving the glory to me or the credit to me. And you know that it's God that's working in you. And it's God's Word that we're teaching here. And I know that you're not trying to glory in me. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong. I always thank whoever says something like that to me because I am grateful for it, for the encouragement. But at the same time, I like to say, well, you know what? Praise the Lord for that. Because the fact of the matter is, whoever we listen to, wherever we get the teaching of the Word of God from it, if we're encouraged, if we're strengthened, if we're built up, you know who's really strengthening and building? God. It's God that called that preacher or teacher there to teach those things. It's God that gave him the Word of God to, to do it and the life experiences to illustrate it. And it's, it's God. It's all about God. It's not about us. It's about God. And that's the first thing that he tries to do with these Corinthians. Why? They've got to get their focus back on God. They've got their focus on Paul and Peter and Apollos. And, and Get your focus back on Christ. And so he's trying to exalt God and glorify God in their midst so that they see God's supremacy. He says, look, we are, what is the word he used for himself? Nothing. We're nothing. God is everything. It's not me that led to your salvation. It's God. Yeah, he used me. I, I was faithful to do my part. I planted the seed. Apollos came along, watered the seed. And so in other words, Paul got there first. He preached the Gospel. The Apollos came through. He preached it some more. He's watering that seed. And eventually, it turned into your faith and you got saved. But you know who, who sent us? God. It's all, it's all on Him. So we need to recognize God's supremacy. But not only do we need to recognize God's supremacy, but we specifically need to recognize Christ's priority. These are very closely related, obviously, these two things. But he also prioritizes Christ. In verse 11, he tells them, For no one can lay any foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Christ is the bedrock of our relationship with God. Nobody has a relationship with God the Father unless it's through Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ that came and died on that cross for us. It's Jesus Christ that rose again from the dead. And it's Jesus Christ that we're looking for to come back and receive us unto Himself. He is the priority. He is the Gospel. And so as we look at living out this relationship with God, we've got to have Christ as the priority in our life. God the Father. God gets the supremacy. Christ is the priority in our life if we're going to have this pious life that we need to flesh out before God. It's hard to have decent relationships with those around us if we don't first have a solid relationship with the God who created us. As one as, a, as an outworking of the other. And then lastly, we also need to focus on our responsibility. As we look at verses 10 through 17, he says, According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. So he starts out by referring to himself. 
And he says, and then someone else is building upon it. That would refer to Apollos, Peter, these other guys. But I think it would go beyond that as well. We're called to the same thing. Today we have the same responsibilities, the same job. What are we doing? We're still building the same thing. We're building the church. Jesus Christ originally told the the apostles, I'm going to build my church on you guys. They were the foundation. They were the rock. He said, I'm going to build my church on you and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And you know what Jesus is still doing today? Jesus is still building His church. And now He's building it through us. The Apostle Paul's days of building are over. So are Apollos, so are Peter. It's our day. And you know what? That's that's one of the things that we really need to recognize. We're builders. We're supposed to be about accomplishing something, about building something. And that is this church. Not the, not the building itself, but the people within it that make up this church, this gathering. We're to be builders. If we all think about the church that way all the time, that will affect our attitude toward the church. It will affect our actions within the church. It's one thing to, to criticize. It's another thing to get involved or, or to fix. You know, the Apostle Paul, he says, what are my relationship to the church? He says, I'm building it. <coughs> There's been times where I've heard people complain about different things about different churches. And I often think when somebody complains about a church, I think, well, because they usually complain about it kind of in that way, kind of a third person. Well, the church is doing this, or why do they do this, or why do they... And you know what my first thought is every time? Why are you saying, why are they doing this? If you're part of that church, why, aren't, why wouldn't you be saying, why are we doing this? It's, a, it's just a completely different mindset when you change from they to we. And don't get me wrong, Building the church and recognizing that you're a builder, that you're supposed to be doing something constructive rather than just tearing things down, that doesn't mean that we don't ever change anything. He's demanding a lot of change of the Corinthians as we work our way through this letter. But it's changed for their benefit. And so building doesn't mean no change. Actually, quite the opposite. It means sometimes even constant change. What is our responsibility? We're part of the builders of this institution. We're part of the builders of this church. If Little Fork Baptist Church is lacking in, a, in some way, you know whose fault it is? Ours. All of us. Because Little Fork Baptist Church is, it is us. Not only that, but notice he said it's important how you serve. And then he describes it with two different groups of items. He has the gold, silver, and precious jewels. And then he has the, the wood, the hay, the stubble. What's the difference between those two things? Well, the silver, gold, and precious jewels are things that are enduring. They're lasting. And the wood, hay, stubble, not so much. Those are things that are going to deteriorate. Those are things that are going to fade. The fire is going to wreak havoc with those things. And that's exactly kind of the point that he's getting to is the fact that, you know what, one day all of us stand before God and God's going to be evaluating one thing. What was your work in the church? How did you build? Did you build something that would last? Were you working in a way that could be described as gold, silver, Precious jewels? Or were you working in a way that's really described more by wood, hay, and stubble? We're responsible before God for those ways in which we build. He said we're going to be tried by fire. We've just come off a real dry season. Fire dangers have been high and burning permits have been low to non-existent during these times. Why? Because a little spark in the grass. Uh, You know, on the fire department this last week, was called out to a grass fire right along the highway, just a spark off of a truck, and all of a sudden fire. Some people's work is going to be like that. When the spark hits it, you know what's going to happen? It's going to burn up, and they got nothing really left to be rewarded for. 
They're still Christian. He's not talking about whether or not you're a Christian. He's talking about your service for God while you're on this earth. But here's the other thing. If we, in sincerity and with a heart for God, living out this piety before God, build in a way that's thoughtful and effective, then it's described as gold, silver, precious jewels. I don't know much about jewels. don't know a lot about the other two either, to be honest with you, except I do know this. I do know that if you set fire to gold and silver, all it does is make it more pure. That's how they purify gold. That's how they purify silver. They melt it down, they heat it up, and all the imperfections float to the top, and they skim them off. And so with one of these groups, fire completely destroys it. It it is no more. And with the other group, it only becomes more valuable. And that's what he's encouraging us in our service before God as we live out this life that is all about him, this pious life, then our responsibility is to invest our life in serving God by serving others in a way that can be described as valuable. So as we consider this idea of living below by rising above, the first character trait that needs to be in our life is piety, that we recognize the supremacy of God, the priority of Christ, and the responsibility that we ourselves have as we strive to live out this life in Christ. Well, not only do we have piety, but the second one, closely related, would be humility. Piety says it's all about God. Humility says it's not about me. Humility is kind of just being honest. Is being honest with who you are before God and other people. Something that we all wrestle with, that we all struggle with from time to time. Everybody wants to know who they are and have a good impression of themselves, this identity. I do remember reading somewhere one time where they said, you will worry a lot less about what people think of you if you only knew how little they were. I thought that was very helpful for me. Because it made me realize, you know, people got a lot more to think about, a lot more important things to worry about than what what they think about me. Humility is just being uh, honest with who you are. It's about kind of knowing your place. And there's three different ways that he encourages us to know our place within this passage. The first way that he encourages us to know our place is in serving. He says, who is Paul? Who is Apollos? He says, look, we're we're just servants. That's what we are. People were setting them on a pedestal and looking up to them. And you know what? I mean, they're worthy guys to look up to, to a certain level. But they were holding these people up on a pedestal and the Apostle Paul says, no, if you want to know what I am, I'm a servant. About Apollos, if you want to know who he is, he's a servant. And then it's later in that same couple of verses where he says, look, we're nothing. It's all about God. What is our place? We're, we're servants. We're servants. That's what we're supposed to be doing here. It's not about what pedestal we can climb up onto or achieve within our life. It's about who can we serve? Who can we help in our service before God? So we need to know our place in serving. Secondly, we need to know your place in belonging. Look at verse 8. He says, He who plants and he who waters are one. They've been dividing them up. I follow Paul. You follow Apollos. Paul and Apollos said basically, you know what, we're... We're on the same team. We're one. You can't divide us. We're both serving Christ and we're both serving you in order to serve Christ. So you can't really divide us up and compare us that way. We're, we're the same. We're on the same team. Paul might have laid the foundation. Apollos came through and built on it. Or, or Paul might have came through and planted the seeds. Apollos came through and watered them. This is, a, this is an easy passage for me or an enjoyable passage because I have a little bit of familiarity with both of these things. I've been building for most of my adult life. And I grew up in a farming community. 
That's how we made our summer money. We had buck hay and we changed sprinklers and we, and we picked fruit. I remember I picked cherries every year from the time I was 12 years old or so on up till I graduated from high school. And but I was up in the trees picking the cherries, filling the buckets. And then there was another guy that would come along on a tractor full of boxes and he would take our buckets, he would punch our tickets for how many buckets we picked, and he'd dump, dump our buckets in, into the boxes and then he would go around and pick everybody that's picking, take all their cherries and then take them over to the shed in the sorting shed. And then in the sorting shed, there was a conveyor belt. And there were people lining both sides of the conveyor belt. And the cherries would come down and they're picking out the ones that aren't any good, making sure you got just the best cherries before they get loaded. And then somebody else is loading them out the other end and loading them on a truck to get them off to the warehouses. And then there's people at the warehouses doing things there. And you know what? When you get done and you answer the big question, who got the cherries to market? You know what? All of us. The guys picking in the trees and the people sorting at the conveyor belt and the guy driving the tractor and the guy hauling them off to the warehouse and the people packaging them for the grocery stores and everybody. All of them are required. All of them are necessary. All of them belong. And that's what I see in that word one. These people are dividing them up and the Apostle Paul says, you don't get it. Don't put me against Apollos as any kind of competition. We're one. You know, right now, going into this school year, our, our young people, our teenagers, are beginning to get involved in the sports programs. And, you know, you can't have a me-first kind of an attitude on a volleyball court. It doesn't work on a football field either. I remember seeing a, a movie based on a true story several years ago. It was about a football team that they went, I forget how many years, without losing the game. It was a phenomenal high school football team. And it was such a great movie to watch because the coach, the coach wasn't really focused on building a football team as much as he was focused on building young men. And he taught them that whenever you lapse in your position upholding your responsibility, you're leaving one of your teammates, you're hanging them out to dry. And so he actually taught them that, it, you know what, football's about love. You love your brothers. And that's why you do your best. That's why you make sure you're where you need to be. That's, and he built this football team that was phenomenal. The national press interviewing this guy, wanting to interview his players. And you know what? They never let him interview the players. And you want to know why? I'm sure you already know why. Because he didn't want his players thinking, it's all about me. No, it's all about me. It's all about the running back. It's all about the quarterback. It's all about, you know what it's all about? It's about the team. We're one. Hugely successful. But why? Why were they so successful? That they belonged. Each person on that team belonged. And they knew where they belonged. And they worked together. And they were effective. You can only have that kind of belonging if you have that kind of humility. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is saying here. Look, don't pit me against Apollos or Peter or anybody else. We're just a servant. We know our place. We know where we belong. We belong together in this team for Christ. And then also we see that humility also involves knowing your place and not belonging. You see, you got you really got to pick where you fit. And that's what he's calling us to do. You know, I remember talking to somebody who had very different political opinions than myself. And the big push was and still is on this idea of tolerance. And I just asked him one day, he mentioned needing, needing to be tolerant. And I said, well, let me ask you this. Can somebody be completely tolerant? And he said, well, you know, I think, no, I don't think you actually can. And that's absolutely true because when you tolerate one thing, whatever is the opposite of it, you're showing intolerance to that thing. And that's what we see within this life. And in fact, it's 
it's huge in the political realms and within our nation and and not just in the political realms they they interwove a little bit but in the moral realms within our nation and we're being called upon to to tolerate more and more and more some different sinfulness within our society and at the same time there's becoming less and less and less tolerance for people that would speak out the truth that's nothing new you got to choose where you fit and that's what he calls them to do because at the same time that he says, look, Apollos and I are one. We're on the same team. We're a, a unity here and you can't divide that up. At the same time, a little bit later in the passage in verses 18 through 21, he says, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may, he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it is written, He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. God holds the the wisdom of the world is futile. In other words, it's foolishness before God. But remember how this whole passage kind of started out. Not the passage just that we're focused on today, but all the way back earlier in 1 Corinthians in chapter 1. The passage started out that the gospel is foolishness to the world. So the gospel, which is the wisdom of God, the wisdom of God is foolish to the world. Well, the wisdom of the world is foolishness before God. There's not a melding together there. And he's really calling them to to know where you fit and to determine where you fit. Because if you're going to follow God's wisdom, it's going to run upstream compared to the wisdom of the world. If you're going to please God, you're not going to be pleasing to the world. And at the same time, if if you have this attraction within you to wanting to be counted wise by the world, then God's going to kind of hold that as foolishness. And so we got to know where we belong. We know our place, where we belong. We belong with Apollos. We belong with Paul. We belong with the believers in Corinth. We belong with God through Christ. But the wisdom that's taken up within the world... That's not where we belong. The treasures of the world are not going to be my treasures. The thought processes of the world are not going to be my thought processes. The pats on the back are going to be few in supply coming from that end because that's not where I belong. Well, lastly, the last character trait that promotes unity is certainty. Certainty, the idea of being certain, trusting, hoping, knowing. At the very last part of the passage in Verse 21 says, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. That's the phrase I like to focus on. All things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. You see how he ends this passage here? He says, look, you should have great hope in this. You should have great trust in this. You should have great certainty In this, you don't need to pit Paul against Apollos. You want to know why? Because you own them both. You don't need to to throw Peter in the mix either because you own him. And all the blessings that come from their ministry and the blessings of the church and the blessings of not only that, he says, not only now, but the future. He says, right now is yours. The future is yours in Christ. Everything in Christ is, is for you. So it's not, it's not about me. It's about God. That's piety. It's not about me. That's humility. Certainty. Where does that leave us? It's for me. It's not about me, but it is for me. Right? It's, it's not going to revolve around me, but it's to my benefit. You know what? A great parenting lesson from this. Holy cow. 
Because as we're raising kids and, and impacting grandkids and other family members and young people around us, you know what one of the worst things that you can do to a kid is let them think the world revolves around them. You will ruin that person doing that. But yet at the same time, isn't so much of what you do as a loving, responsible parent, grandparent, for those kids? You see, there's the balance. We do a lot for our kids, but the worst, one of the worst things we could do to them is make them think it was all about them. That's exactly what God does with us. God says, look, it's not about you. It's about God because He is the one that's supreme. He is God. It's not about us. It's about God. But it's for us. Christ came for us. He died for us. He rose again for us. He's coming back for us. There is so much here that's for us. So that really sets us free. Then to live out the life of piety, focusing on letting God be supreme, Christ have the priority, recognize our responsibility, to walk in humility, knowing our place as a servant, knowing where we belong, knowing where we don't belong, because of that certainty that in the end, it's all ours.